Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. All right, everybody. We are now reaching the culmination uh, of the old 6.5 BC pod venture here. Now, you heard plenty about... is Mark, is that cat sound still playing? Oh, I don't think so. No. Oh, Mark's been playing. Now, phantom cat sounds. Phantom cat sounds in my head just because we're doing the old, uh, the old six five. Well, you know what BC stands for. Anyway, but we went on a hunt with it. Which talk about? I swear it's still playing. Is that not? Do you still have YouTube? Do the thing where you look at where you check your apps on your phone. No, you. That's not. You don't hold the phone up to your ear to check your apps. Do the thing where you. It is still playing. <laughs> it has been playing this whole time. Electronics No, don't just turn the volume down on your phone. It's still playing. Oh. Do you know how to do the thing where you... Oh, gosh. Now he's... For now those he's watching right now. He just turned the phone off. <laughs> okay. We got the phone off. I panicked. Okay, anyway. I panicked. I tried to turn the phone off. It gave me the option of turning it off or SOS. I almost hit the SOS, Jim. <laughs> That's how I was feeling right there. <laughs> okay. So we went on a hunt. With the 6.5 BC. It was it was honestly, it was a really cool experience. Ryan, I wish you could have been there. You ended up going on a hunt actually the week after, or some, roughly in that time frame. Did you end up taking it with you as well? I did. I didn't, I did not harvest with it. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I don't know if I want to spoiler alert what happened with us just yet. But anyway, let's talk about a little bit about the hunt because there was some intrigue slash interest around the hunt that we did, why we chose to do it. And then, of course, we'll talk more about the cartridge itself. But, Mark, this hunt was a little bit, uh, it was kind of your idea. You hadn't done it before. I hadn't even been on, uh, we went on an antelope hunt. I don't even know if we've mentioned that yet. Yeah. But we went on an antelope hunt in Wyoming. I'd never hunted antelope before. Cooper, the camera guy, who's actually out, it's it's early November right now as we're podcasting this, and he's smart. He's the smart one of our group who's out hunting right now. Um, he came with, he'd never been on an antelope hunt before, so it was a new experience yep. for all of us, really. And uh, how did you arrive on this particular hunt, Mark? You know, it just seemed like a good opportunity hunt. Uh, we actually kind of thought about it a little bit late. So we missed the first round, uh, you know, the first big game draw in Wyoming. So we drew these tags in the second round of draws, if you will. Mm-hmm. There was limited tags, a lot of demand for tags this year. Only a couple units still had tags left available. Now, the units that we were looking at, uh, Wyoming's very forthcoming when talking about these units. There's very limited public land. When you're, you know, uh, in the descriptions of the units, they're saying, hey, limited public land, if you choose to put in for this tag, be mindful, have private access, essentially. They're like saying, don't come here unless you've got private land to hunt. Right. Now, I've hunted in Wyoming before, a couple, couple good uh, antelope units before, uh, antelope everywhere, and I said to myself, well, what's just antelope doe tags? How hard can it be? It's Wyoming. It's They're Wyoming. Everywhere. They're everywhere, which they are, but when you're in one of these units that has limited public land and access, um, the, the level of pressure on those pieces was pretty extreme, and, and, and we're kind of hedging our bets a little bit because you, tr- you try to use your... Uh, your human psychology here. You're like, well, I mean, everybody, you know, everybody's saying don't go here, don't go here. I was doing online research and people are like, yeah, don't go, don't go, which all that just kind of triggers to me to go, well, maybe I should go. 
But uh, no, I mean, that's pretty accurate. I mean, there were animals to be had. So I don't want I don't want to completely discourage somebody and say, don't go, because there were animals out there. But mm-hmm. the amount of, of... And we saw other people and harvesting s- animals out there. Yeah, other people got some antelope. And, but it was... Um, it was interesting, you know, uh, very few access points, uh, multiple cars at each access point, and it seemed like when one car would roll out, another truck would roll right in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but... Yeah, and we did this kind of, the idea, too, with this was to do it this kind of dirt bagging style. Yes. Dirt, dirt bagging style, I said that right. Uh, where we went out in, uh, we drove... You know, from Wisconsin to Wyoming, and uh, we did that in the old Sub. Admittedly, uh, she's not the fastest car on the road, and also we were going into about a ninety mile an hour headwind. Yep. So it <laughs> took some it, time. It actually took us twenty four hours to get there. Now that <laughs> oh well, okay, that's not a straight drive, but we did leave uh, in the a.m. and then have to. We we all got very tired. Slash, no one else but me in the car could drive the stick shift Subaru. Should have thought of that ahead of time. So we crashed at a Love's uh, gas station parking lot, and we all tried to sleep in our gear-packed soup. Kind of woke up, drove the rest of the way, and then got dressed and tried to get out there. Yeah, we slept camped. in a very, uh, I'd, I'd call it a hunched-over position. It, it wasn't good. It wasn't comfortable. The seats are already in. Can, I, have Ryan, a, I have a question. Yeah. please. How, how is it? But that was part of the dirt bagging, though. Like We weren't going to get a hotel room. Oh, we weren't no. going to spend the money. No. So. It's heaven's no. How is it, maybe this is a 10-minute talk topic, but how is it that you can sleep in a tree stand, you can sleep in a ground blind. You can sleep underneath a tree while hunting turkeys. But sleeping in a car is about impossible. It's very difficult. Why is that? Um, I mean, I can sleep in a car, but we were like fully... We weren't in a, any sort of like anatomical think, sleeping position that no. would be comfortable. Well, I certainly think, you're not when you're in a tree stand either. I don't think we should advocate sleeping in a tree stand. You've never slept in a tree stand? I've drifted off a little bit momentarily <laughs> before I realized I better not fall out of this tree. Oh, man. Now, I'll some tree what. stands are quite comfortable, but the ones I, that I'm in are not. I've had some phenomenal naps in the stand. The tree stand one is a bit perplexing to me. The the other ones, though, you're a little bit more freed up. But I, I don't know. I think there's something about being in a car, though, where you're, you are still surrounded. You're surrounded by a footwell. You're surrounded, you know, you got a steer. In my case, I had a steering wheel in front of me. It's just you are in a little cockpit almost. One time I got hunting access to a very large property because <clears throat> I was sleeping in my truck and I fell asleep with my foot on the brake pedal or at some point in time moved my foot on the brake pedal, which in turn then drained my well outdated battery. Um, and the vehicle had all sorts of electrical issues anyways, 262,000 miles on it, but um, killed the truck. And I found a rancher who then came down and jumped my truck. We struck up a relationship and hunted his property for several years. There's going to be Fantastic. a lot of people purposely killing just their fall, Yeah, just, yeah. just, just dead out west. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will, They're I dotting am, the countryside. I am going to bring up also, I didn't sleep good because all, all my clothes were crammed in the back, inaccessible, oh, okay. so I was dressed okay. fairly lightly, I would say. Jim refuses to turn the vehicle on and let it idle so we can have some heat. He Hold would turn on it on second. for like five minutes. I'd be like, oh my gosh, it's starting. I can feel the warmth. And he shut I'd it off. I'd get the car warm, and then I would turn and it off. And you only did Mar- it twice. Here's the thing. 
We slept in that parking lot for five hours. I am not going to let the car idle for five hours. I don't suggest five hours, but that's what you wanted. A that's half hour to forty-five to, minutes would have been even delightful. A half hour to forty-five minutes. I would have slept. A remarkable amount of stress on the cooling system of the vehicle. Oh my god! The car like is meant to be rolling down the road with air coming in and out of the engine compartment over the transmission. Coming from the guy, if the vehicle is moving, we'll try to take it anywhere. Oh, let's uh, jump it. Oh, sweet ledge. Let's go off it. Maybe we can wedge it between these cut banks. But we can't turn it on for a half hour? Yeah, well, no. Because that's an avoidable situation. Sometimes MC Ryan has left the building. MC Ryan's literally gone. Jim said earlier, I wish you would have come. The listeners have left the building. Jim said, I wish you would have come earlier. I imagine that this is a slice of the heaven that existed during this trip. Just a tiny piece. This is true. Let the car idle. I'm not going to let the car idle coolant. Not coolant. I'm cold. Yeah. Mark, no, granted, of course, the whole co- the, the I, cooling system probably would have been fine considering how cold it was, but I don't know. I'm gonna, I still don't like to do it. I'm not going to take not I'm not gonna take sides typically. Mark, I'm going to take sides with Jim on this one because I have been in a vehicle with you before with respect to the temperature of the cabin and the incident that occurred when you and I were heading north from Missouri. And You had heat on your you side. Just get, you just get cold easily. You didn't open your vents. They were right there. Who closes their vents? Who doesn't open them and freezes for three hours? He was sitting like this, folks. Did you watching. ever put your hands in front of the vents and be like, I wonder if air's coming out? Once I opened And them. then just so anyway. Okay. Um, back on topic. So but we, we eventually got there. We decided to camp. We camped on some BLM and mm-hmm. that was uh that was pretty cool. We did find great spot. Great oh, amazing spot. We did find some uh we did find some BLM. Oh also Which was tough. you know, that's took a good part of a day too, though, because yeah. we had a couple spots, you know, had a couple pins dropped and you know, as does happen when we ground truthed it, they weren't mm-hmm. good spots because of, you know, access or this road is closed or this is, you know, any number of reasons. We we spent a good part of that day trying to find, you know, where we we're going to camp. But, mm-hmm. you know, luckily one of the pins I had, I guess, aerial scouted uh, did did pan out and was awesome. We had killer view. Oh, it was amazing. Deer side, right there. Side note, and I don't mean to just bring cars back into it immediately, but I, this, I was reminded of talking about car idling for a long period of time. If your car is ever running rich, that means some excess gasoline and stuff like that and hydrocarbons are coming out of the engine and through your catalytic converter, which is down low in the vehicle, especially on older vehicles that always have heat shielding, and you have a particularly dry year like we've had, let's say you pull off the side of the road and some dry grass and you leave mm. the car running yeah. to keep yourself warm, you could start a fire. Yeah, I'm not suggesting letting your car anyway, idle anyway. over dry I grass. I just want to throw on, that because I, I think it's a valid tip. I don't think we were uh, at risk we were in the a, Love's we were parking in an lot. asphalt parking lot. I get it. So anyway, but we camped <coughs> on some BLM, and uh, no, it was it was absolutely great. So then we went out. Are you sorry you missed it, Ryan? I'm just thinking of the scene from Dumb and Dumber where <laughs> Harry and Lloyd get to Aspen, and uh, Lloyd had gloves, and Harry got mad and said, you had gloves this whole time. That's what, Mark beat me up in the car. Because I didn't, because I had heat the whole time. You had heat the whole time. My feet—we've talked about this before—but my feet were actually like I couldn't feel them. Good thing it was before you learned jujitsu in our uh, last pod. Oh, I know. Yeah. I'd have been destroyed. Oh, you didn't me out cold. Straight karate chop to the neck. You'd been. I have the out. tools now. You'd have yeah. done it going down the highway. But Mark, describe. Let's talk about. Let's talk about hunting antelope. So for those not familiar, it, I, like I said, it was my first time ever hunting antelope. Cooper's as well. And uh, how would you describe it for somebody only familiar with uh, hunting deer? Ryan, you hunt, you hunt antelope all the time. Yeah, Ryan, you're, I mean, you go every year. That's kind of your annual pilgrimage. It is. I like hunting pronghorns. They are, they are one of, I think they're the most delicious 
of all the games. I haven't eaten a few of the games, though. I haven't eaten Greater Sheep, Muskox, or Mountain Goat, so I can't really weigh in on oh, those. Oh, hey, I've got a Muskox shank that was uh, gifted to me in my freezer right now. We should do something with that. Anyway, reminder, sorry. Um, so I really I think they're quite tasty for those listening. If you've ever heard people say they are garbage, reassess those folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, delicious creature. Really neat animal. I think, you know, if you're looking to hunt out west and you've never done it before, I think that's the starter. Seems um, to be the case with many people. Yeah, what they say. I think uh, I think that they are a really awesome critter to get get your you know boots on the ground and feet wet wet with, so to speak. Uh, target rich environment generally. There's a lot of them. They're a herd herd animal, so usually you can find good groups of them. They're very visually striking. I often equate them to being a road flare on the prairie. When you see them, they're very bright. Yeah. Um, so they make for a very visually stimulating hunt. I've been on some hunts where you glass and you glass and you glass. You see nothing for potentially days at a time. And um, pronghorn, that's not the case. Usually, if you're in pronghorn country, you see lots of pronghorn. Well, and speaking of visuals, and one of the reasons why you can see those pronghorn is the habitat or the places where they yeah. like to live because their eyesight is so good. That's kind of their first line of defense. So mm-hmm. it's more open areas where you know they can see you from a long ways and... Yeah, you can see them from a long way. Yeah, usually, usually if you find yourself in a really thick area or like there's, it's really hard to see around the hill and stuff like that, and you just can't see for a long way. You're like, yeah, there's not going to be antelope here. Yeah, and that's one thing. And, and you were kind of showing us on on Onyx, Ryan. You know, some topography things, and man, that just really when we got out there, and and you know, even when you would look at where the antelope were on the private land, which was basically where all a lot of the antelope that we saw were on on the <laughs> private. Uh, but you can see where they like to be and then kind of, I guess, uh, look at your map and find areas with similar uh, features and be like, yep, this will be a good antelope area. This may be not a good antelope area. So definitely the uh, the more rolling, open prairie habitat, you know, is mm-hmm. where we were finding them. I don't know. I mean, any other tips on that, Ryan? Um, timber is not generally a good place to find pronghorn. Um, yes. So if, you, if you're in an area with a lot of dotted timber, uh, they don't they don't seem to do well there. They get a little freaked out. I've I've hunted them up against uh, the Bighorn Mountains before, and um, they for some reason we found a group that had been driven into the timber, and we happened upon them just by chance, and they seem very confused, and they don't know what mm-hmm. to do. They, you know, I've heard that they have binocular vision. Yeah. I think it's like the equivalent of like, is it an eight power? Yeah. I think. So imagine walking across a football field with a pair of binoculars. You could probably navigate pretty good, but imagine walking through your house with a pair of binoculars up. You'd probably be a little cautious. Yeah. Well, you ever um, see, Jim, you like those videos where people play soccer wearing mm, binoculars? Yeah, with binoculars strapped to their faces. Love those. Check Never that out. Never seen that. I think it's a thing that they did. It's either Japan or China or something like that. It's like, yeah, binocular soccer. Wow. Um, <laughs> it's incredible. So <laughs> effectively what Jim's getting at is antelope are playing binocular soccer 24-7. Yeah. Sage country is a big one. Sage is a big part of their diet. And then any good grazing or grasslands where they can they can find good graze yep. uh, during the day. They're, they're seemingly constantly eating. Water sources. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Especially in the very arid regions. Uh, you know, if you're in the American Southwest, a lot of guys hunt over tanks, and a lot, especially during archery seasons where it's really hot. Mm-hmm. Tanks are uh, really good, or, or any, a natural water feature wouldn't have to be a tank, I guess. But anywhere you would find a water source would be a reliable place to hunt pronghorn, probably, if your state has pronghorn. Um, but 
Yeah, broken ground is, is pretty mixed results. Uh, now, when I was on my hunt the subsequent week, uh, was, was that the right word? Subsequent? Yeah. 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 It was very windy as well. We had like 40 mile an hour plus sustained winds for several days. And the pronghorn, either in an attempt to not freeze to death or whatever, to stay out of the wind as something naturally would, actually moved to the broken ground. We didn't see them on the flats, but I think that's pretty atypical. Yeah. You're, mm-hmm. you're going to find pronghorn mostly. So they were kind of seeking refuge a little yeah. bit then. Yeah. And um, we actually, the pronghorn that I ended up harvesting got kicked out of like a literal canyon. Like think the most mule deerish country you've ever seen. And we're talking equipped with junipers and curleaf mountain mahogany and sage. Out comes like 60 pronghorn uh, from this this canyon uh, where they had retreated to to get away oh, from, wow. the, from the wind. It was We weren't there looking for pronghorn, I guess. We were looking for, for mule deer at the time. But yeah, open country is a big one. It is funny. We saw a ton of mule deer when we were out there, mostly does, but we, we did see some bucks and some whitetail. But like the the grady, the graduation or whatever you would you would call it is out in the open, there's antelope, and then up near the base of the hills and the rocks and all that broken ground like you were talking about was where you'd see the mule deer. And then um even when you'd be hiking around and you'd be up in some broken ground that you're trying to like get to a certain vantage point to look down into a flat kind of just spot going through the uh, through the mountains there, we'd be kicking up mule deer left and right all throughout that little spot. But then you'd glass down in where you're expecting to see antelope. There'd be no mule deer down there. Yeah. So, they, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're goofy how they kind of draw their their border lines with, with respect to terrain. But um, super fun creature to hunt. Uh, I think what I like most about them is if you've never done open ground stalking um, or figured out how to use terrain to your advantage – Pronghorn are a great opportunity because you can generally make quite a few mistakes and turn up more pronghorn later. Right, yeah. yeah. If you blow if you blow that stock, it's hopefully likely not your last opportunity right. that week. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas we put on a fantastic stock on a tremendous mule deer that ended up not working out. And that was the only mule deer that we had an opportunity at the entire week. So Shoot. not the case with pronghorn, typically. Typically. Yeah. Yep. Um, so next, what do we, well, so we found ourselves going around from spot to spot, bouncing around the public, trying Mm -hmm. to find an open spot. It was, it was kind of a matter of, I don't even know if there's a really good strategy in those situations. I mean, we tried to get up real early, I mean, you know, and get into our spots before it was even remotely light out and you'd pull up to a spot and there'd be cars there already. Um, you know, and so it was almost just a matter of just trying to be in the right spot at the right time, hoping somebody maybe kicks something over your way or, uh, and one really interesting thing we watched was the antelope were rutting. Mm -hmm. And if you recall the spot that we were in when, um, we ultimately, it's not like it's a giant reveal. We ultimately got some antelope. Actually, each one of us did, but where we were prior to us shooting, um, we, you remember that one buck that we saw chase that doe, and we spotted him from a long ways off. Oh on yeah, some private. They were and they probably were cruising in. On you the know, public. at least I don't know, mile and a half away when we first glassed him up. I'm like, oh god, there's a good buck up there. And I'm like, oh sweet, he's on a doe. But yeah, and he was. They covered that ground, and and kind of got to our area five ten minutes something like that. You oh, know, we we're easy. just kind of keeping keeping our on, and, and you know the, the buck. Push the dough. 
I mean, we were kind of on a sweet little sniper perch up there, and, and the buck pushed the doe down in there, and I was yeah. on my map. I mean, she was. She was. I mean, she quite. Line. She was flirting with the you know the public boundary there, and and quite possibly, honestly, if I was to guess, actually, you know what? I don't know, but she might have been on the public. I mean. I was looking at the boundary, looking at terrain features, doing lot ranging her, doing line distances on Onyx, you know, trying to, you know, match things up. And ultimately it was just it was it was too close to risk it, yeah. essentially, is what we yeah. felt. And then they, they ended up, you know, he pushed her off and they kinda went back up up where they came. But we were in a good spot. We weren't alone. There were some other <laughs> hunters just down the way from us and and uh, it was uh, kind of a, a small little hidden gem of public. Um and uh, and Prairie and Dog Town, their Prairie Dog Town. It was it was it was a cool little spot. But those guys were definitely getting some shooting, which was cool. You know, yeah, good we on heard them. a couple of shots go off, and then all of a sudden, I recall us sitting up on our sniper perch, and Cooper was, uh, I think he was e- either filming at the time, or I don't know what was going on. But I had sat back for a moment because my neck was getting tired from like sitting behind the gun, like waiting for something to happen. I was just kind of like uncomfortable. Sat back, and Cooper goes. Boys don't move. <laughs> <laughs> and just only with my eyeballs look over to the left and there's three antelope. And it was just this like super exciting moment. But uh Oh, I I did the same thing. I look, I'm like, oh my god, they're right there. <laughs> <laughs> this is when Mark goes, Jim, what are you doing? Jim, shoot the antelope. Jim, get on the gun. Jim, oh, Jim get on the gun. Because they were on like I think I think they actually might have gotten a little bit spooked. By those other hunters, I recall hearing a very distinctive, <laughs> or whatever the oh, sound yeah. is that they make yep. that, that very loud like blow, blow or yeah. something. Yeah, and uh, I mean it, it was it was apparent they were onto us. Now my my urgency there was is I felt like they were going to bolt like at any moment. Which pronghorn do just for no reason sometimes they they can be somewhat erratic. Yeah, <laughs> they're sitting there. You're like, oh, look at him. He's just enjoying himself. It's nice out. Sun's on him. He's got some grass. And then they just look up and ah, I'm out of here. Yeah, and the the magnetism of the earth propels them forward at a rapid rate of speed. For Gosh, no- they are quick. Oh, we did see some at dead sprint at a completely different time. At dead sprint, you're looking out there and you're like, what is that? I think Six, are they North miles? America's yeah. last or not last fastest land animal? Second fastest in the world, next to the cheetah, right? Yep, and they evolved because of the American cheetah. Hmm. Yeah. So the reason the reason we have pronghorn, and the reason they are the way they are, is because of uh, a prehistoric predator. Slow ones just didn't. They make didn't it. make it. They didn't make it. Very interesting. How about that? So my my thought though, with with my urgency of Jim to make like maybe kind of one little bit faster movement was that I just didn't think we had much we time. Were kind and of I, thought, I thought they would notice that movement, but he'd be able to get on the gun. We'd be able to they'd probably run. Yeah. We'd stop him one last time. Bang. Your your reasoning was that we were kind of already made. So like right. just make just like it embrace being already, you know, the jig is up. Yeah. But I my sort of I guess thinking was I'm moving slowly, and they're continuing to move out towards us. So if I just continue doing what I'm doing, maybe they'll continue doing what they're doing. And that ended up being what happened. But I'm fully aware of the fact that it could have gone any of, any way. But uh, that was very exciting. And then we shot all three. (laughs) (laughs) Which doesn't work out that good all the time. No. No. That's pretty slick. No. And, And Mark still feels a little funny about it, but... Because it was just, they were, it was fine. It was good. I mean, it was they a were, mama doe and, and two 
younger antelope. It's fine. It is what it is. The thing is, Mark, we had zero other opportunities that entire time. Well, well we, we don't know that. Maybe point five other opportunities. Well, actually, so you weren't there. So anyway, so we'll talk. So was I not there for yeah, an opportunity? You weren't there. Well, kind of, you weren't there. So, oh, Jim, I Jim, okay, I know, Jim yeah. shoots. Uh, Jim shoots the first one, mm-hmm. and then it's the biggest you know, one. The biggest one. Long story short, I shoot the next one. Cooper had a tag as well. Right, you shot the one that was smaller than mine. For the guy that likes to say it's like not about the horns, now he's like in some sort of big doe contest. Uh. Uh, anyway, but uh, anyway, so we got all three. It was awesome. We had our work literally cut out for us at that point because we needed to, uh, you know, fix up clean, uh, three antelope and, and get them back to, I was going to say the truck, no, the Subaru. Um, and so we got to work on the first one, basically got it uh, ready for transport. Uh, Jim loaded. Did you load up the whole thing? Did yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, in in your pack. So Jim made his way back with the first antelope. Cooper and I stayed to work on the other two. And while you were gone, that's right. That buck that we had seen earlier chased that doe, and we look up, and they are literally standing 100 yards away from us on the public land. Of course, we don't have a tag in our pocket anymore. So whatever, you know, you don't yeah. know. And, and also, like, had we. Uh, only shot the one or something like that, we would have had her out of there by then and probably been on to the next spot, you know? So Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was kind of, I guess, comical, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, I think it worked out exactly the way it should have. So, yeah. I mean, and you know, and they say it's a Dauphin tag, you know, so, I mean, if you shoot a younger one, it's not, you know, against the rules or anything, so. But uh, it also ended up being some of the best meat we've ever eaten in our entire lives. Oh, my gosh. Um, it, it was, it, it was absolutely phenomenal. So, incredibly tender we made fajitas in camp was that the next day i think it was the next day we, we stopped in for lunch and, and made fajitas and they were absolutely amazing i know people like to say oh yeah it was so good like it was so good it was but here's the thing though all this right leading up to the fact that the 65 bc worked yes and i would say if i'm recalling correctly because we had a set of fury binos out there and it it was it was like a complete mad dash the whole time you know but but ranging Approximately, it was they were all within 300 yards for sure, and I would say probably we were more in the in the realm of 150 to 250 yards between all three. I was gonna I was gonna say 160 to 260, yeah, and I think it was literally like kind of 160, then 260, and then yeah, 360, and it was like, like no 250, something math, yeah, numbers, and all of them it was basically just hold dead on. I mean, even with even with the 65 BC, and I think we've updated this in the last one, but even with it loaded down. Pretty safely, still a lot of room left in the case for more powder. We haven't still, seen any time any signs of pressure yeah, by any means. We're still pushing it out at three thousand feet per second, which is which is notable. Yep. And uh, so yeah, there was no real need to like hold over or anything, you know, at, at distances like that. It was basically no, just. I think yeah, I think Cooper held a little bit high on his and held for hair and it dropped right in. Um, I mm. held dead on. I think that was. I think it was about. T- I think it was, was that two fifty. Yours, is, yours two, was probably about like two thirty, two thirty, something like that. And uh, but and either there's you know whatever, but it hit um, low and lower in the chest cavity, basically hard shot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean it worked. It seemed quite accurate. I mean mm-hmm. I know where I was aiming. That's basically where the bullet went. Yeah. No, Ryan. So as far as like Mark said, it worked. 
It fired. It was accurate. Went where we were wanting it to go. And it put him down mighty quick. So, um, obviously, like, when you're talking about, like, how well it put down an animal, how quickly and how effectively, I mean, that goes in a lot to the projectile. And it's not like we made our own projectiles. We're no, using. No, but I actually think we might have over-bulleted. Do you think? Maybe. So like explain, too tough of a bullet, you think? Possibly. And how so? Hmm. What, um, what makes that conclusion come to your head? I don't know. I just, you know, that was the only thing I was really interested about when you guys text me, you know, that you guys had critters down. I just wanted to know what the projectile did. Did anybody recover a projectile? What did the entrance and exit? What did the necropsy? Well, and we had some variants, I guess. Yeah, we did. Because mine, I hit probably right right in the pocket behind the, the front um, front shoulder, and I recall kind of being surprised when we walked over, seeing a hole for an entry wound, and then not like another pinhole for an exit wound, but it just wasn't as big of an exit wound. Or it, it wasn't just, it wasn't as much of a dramatic display of, uh, of, of transmitting all that energy into the body as I would have expected. So that bullet must have held together pretty well. Yeah, which through. is good. I mean, yeah, that, I mean, that's. That's what you want. Yeah. Can you, okay, so can you explain? I found nothing undesirable about the performance at all. Can you explain to me, and this is this is one of those things where just like people listen, I can't believe this is a question that you're having. It's like, well, I don't know. Maybe other people have this question too. But um, what is it that you want a bullet to do? Because it's, it's like sometimes people are like, you want it to, to enter and then cause a lot of damage and maybe not even exit, or you do want it to exit, or... Very. What, um, what is it? So there's a lot of personal interpretation on mm. this, and I've got great buddies that have completely polar viewpoints on this one. Okay. So I think the ideal thing is is that at any ethical distance that you would shoot a critter, your bullet enters, expands like immediately, um, tremendous amount of you know tissue displacement, bone breaking. Uh, hydrostatic shock, and then you have a sizable exit with a lot of air in and a lot of air out. Um, and that, that leads to a quick dispatch. I think uh, alternative viewpoint is that your bullet enters and everything is contained. Okay. Like you have a full, they call it the energy dump. So, so in that case, no energy is, air quotes, wasted on punching back out the other side. Yeah. All the energy is used inside. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, so I've had mixed results, I guess, with both because I've over-bulleted and, and I wouldn't say over-bulleted, but didn't didn't play the velocity card the way I should have, perhaps, um, or, or could have gone with a different projectile that would have worked better at that velocity. There's a ton of different variables here. And, and again, the subjectivity to this is tremendous. Um, second time I've used that word in this podcast. Wow. The, well, I think you can just, by and large, though, look at the end result, too. Yes, correct. Yeah. And... With the exception of now two instances in my life, I've I've not had like oh crap moments with respect to bullets and how they work, and I don't know that there is a an actual magic bullet, no pun intended, with this kind of thing. Um, pronghorn are pretty soft targets, uh, and a heavy bullet, like a heavily constructed bullet. I guess when I say that, I'm not speaking specifically to weight. Most heavily constructed bullets may not give you this explosive result that you're, you're looking for because mm. they're, they're a fairly fair creature with respect to bone density and muscle tissue. and Yeah, yeah and Jim's 
Jim's doe, I mean, she was quartering too, so he hit her kind of, not kind of, hit her in the pocket, you know, behind the shoulder, and it quartered through and came back, you know, I don't know, out maybe close to her last rib or something like Mm -hmm. that. So, I mean, the bullet traveled through a considerable amount of the animal, but I don't think it hit a rib. I mean, I think everything that it went through was, you know, essentially soft tissue, you know, organs, things like that. Yeah. Um, For sure, got one lung. I'd be surprised if if it didn't get both, but, uh, and then you know, went all through, you know, got into the paunch, you know, yep. so we had to deal with that a little bit. We did the gutless method on it. Yeah. Um, but, and she, you know, it wasn't one of the, it wasn't a bang flop type shot, but she also didn't go anywhere at the same time. No, know? I mean, so. she was, and she was tough too, because I remember at first just the way that she was acting for the, I'd, I'd say she was probably out within, I mean, for sure within 30 seconds, but, right. yeah. you know, I do, I do remember thinking just, by the fact that it wasn't a bang flop, I was like, well, shoot, was that shot not very good? But then when we got over there, of course, you see where it hit, and it was like, I mean, that you, that's pretty much where people want to hit it. I mean, l- unless you're going for bone, mm-hmm. in which case you'd want a little bit more further forward. But, um, but yeah. We were making, in this is, is instance, to, you know, a best effort. And I'm not against, you know, shooting something in the shoulders because sometimes you definitely want to try and have it go down instantly, and that could be... Terrain conditions, uh, time of day, you know, is it raining? You know, maybe I don't want to try and follow blood. You know, I mean, so, but, um, you know, fairly petite animals, and we were trying to conserve meat. We had all the room in the world to, you know, be able to see out there. And so I think we're, you know, kind of trying for those long behind-the-shoulder shots. But I'd be curious, Ryan, and I've heard this. I think it's true. Um, Like we're talking about them being fast, being uh, able to run for sustained distances. I think their lungs are quite huge. Yeah. And can hold... Large sums of air. Large sums of, of air. Ox- and so, like, um, it's just, like, a longer process for that to, I guess, gosh, for lack of a better term, asphyxiation yep. to occur. Yep. I don't know. It's very valid. So I think that's could have been, you know, at play as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, I, going back on it, I don't know exactly what I would have done different. The bullet that we used is, I mean, it's a bonded bullet. It's a bullet that's designed to have high weight retention at, long distance and at decent velocities too, mm-hmm. you know, so doing something different, I don't even know what that would have looked like. I mean, we probably, mm-hmm. I entertain the idea or the, the notion of the Barnes 127 LRX right off the bat. It's one of my favorite projectiles or projectile families anyways, but the bullets that we loaded 142 Acubon long ranges, a very forgiving bullet. They're generally easy, easy to tune and, and they're economical and they're very tough and hyper accurate. I mean, we, we were shooting sub half minute of angle during the low development process and that's mm-hmm. great. So I, you know, whatever, it's probably a moot point, but it'll be interesting as this continues to get fleshed out and we start turning up the volume on that cartridge to see what mm-hmm. it'll do with the other yeah. stuff too. Um, and, and put it onto, you know, potentially some larger cre- creatures like mule deer and possibly elk and yeah. maybe mm-hmm. an dad. But now, uh, uh we, when we shot, we had a slight downward angle that we were shooting at. One thing that a friend of ours brought up um, that we happened to bump into out there was that uh, cartridge with a fair amount of room in it for powder, as you angle the gun, especially downward, then that powder can sort of, I guess, if it'll just tumble down towards the front mm-hmm. of the case up against the bullet, and then when you're igniting a primer, it might not create enough of a spark, or, or it may it, it may just change the way the powder burns because it's moving around so much yep. in the case. Yeah. Now, is that, um, it, it clearly didn't 
pose really any issues notably. I mean, obviously we didn't have a chronograph on the gun when we shot, but I mean, it, it didn't cause any issues for us. We put all three of them down. Right. But I'm, I, I'd never heard of that. And it makes sense when you explain it that there would be inconsistencies in like, okay, when you're sitting with a gun level, all the powder is, you would assume evenly just kind of a water line across the, uh, the length of the case. And then as you angle down, it kind of, you know, like an hourglass or anything. An ideal state with respect to powder column is that it it's completely filled the case. So right. that no matter what angle you're at, you don't have any air gap in there. Right. We're not at that point with the 6.5 BC. Like, I'll make n- no illusions otherwise. So we're underloaded right now by a yeah. considerable amount. One, we were pressed for time. Two, there's zero load data for this. We are making it up as we go. I don't think we were in a situation, one of the... The scary parts about that condition with a voluminous, is that, I think I said that word Voluminous, right? I voluminous? think. Voluminous, okay. Yeah. I would like say from volu- the sham- a voluminous. Voluminous case. <laughs> I think it's voluminous because I've seen shampoo commercials. Oh. I think that's voluptuous. Oh. Mm, wait. You know what? It doesn't matter. Big case. <laughs> Huge. <laughs> if they're big enough... And they've, they've got enough internal capacity and your powder column, like you, you couldn't put enough powder in there safely. When that cartridge goes to that waterline level, um, if it's below the primer and you strike the primer, the flame comes out and it detonates everything at one time instead mm-hmm. of this controlled burn. Oh. Up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have a flame. You have, you have the spark out in space above all the powder below it. Yes. And then it just whoop. Yep. Instead of... Okay. So I've never personally done this, but I do know a gentleman who has done this twice, and he was loading, of all things, subsonic 243 Winchester without using case filler of any kind, whether it's like malto meal or they, they, they do make case filler components that you can buy. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, and he was shooting, I think, a Remington 788, uh, which is a very strong action, uh, multi-lug design, very, very tough gun, and... When he pulled the trigger, the cartridge completely detonated and blew out the bottom of the gun. Um, like, oh, the ma- dear. like the magazine Jeez. exploded, went downward, action screws turned into rocket ships, uh, or at least the front one did anyway. And it was just a mess, right? Shooting subsonic ammo. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, it loaded, right? Yeah. Like not factory. Lo- okay. Yeah. And this was like before the internet existed. And so they chalked it up to, oh, we must have. Done something crazy. Who knows? Uh, and then they did it again. And then they got talking to some folks and like, oh, yeah, subsonic charge. You know, your, your powder is filling the bottom of your case, but not anything in between. You pull the trigger, the primer goes off, flame goes up over the top of the powder, detonates everything at once instead of this controlled detonation from the rear forward. Um, and then you have this enormous pressure spike. Like, gotcha. Yeah. There's zero, there's zero gradual curve to the the pressure. It's yeah, just zero to a thousand. Well, and then even if you're not having something catastrophic happen for consistency's sake, yeah. you're probably going to be all over the map, I'd assume. Yeah, correct. And so I don't like looking at how much of the case we filled and then comparing it to other cartridges and other charge weights and other case volumes. I don't really think it was to that point. I think that because it was a talking point and you can shake a cartridge and it sounds like a maraca, it's talking point at that. I, I don't know that from from like a ballistic standpoint, we were in a situation that warranted any kind of real concern. Per, perhaps we were. I don't know. I, I we still haven't realized the full case capacity potential of the cartridge yet. 
Uh, we've got some ideas based on how much we can fill the case based on other cartridges in a similar, you know, case volume, case size, velocity range. Hmm. So, um, yeah, we've got plenty of room to go. And we're not using a super, f- like, filling powder. Right, yeah. yeah. So there's other powders that are better optimized. coarsely ground? Or, well, I, coarsely ground. So this is like probably ground. less. Yeah, smaller like coffee. Smaller granule. Smaller granule. Oh, yeah. which means, yeah, not coarse. Yeah, okay. Finer powder or bulkier powder. So finer. We powder. could we could move to a bulkier powder and see if that changes anything with with respect to case fill volume and that kind of thing. But, but you know, it's at present if anybody's trying to shop for reloading components at, now, it's very difficult to do. We were super fortunate to find a couple of small reloading shops around the company that or country that do mail order, um, and ended up with with some great powder and some great bullets. Actually, at phenomenal prices too. So it's really good, but. As you know, as we enter the winter and we get a little more time to do this, turn it up to eleven on that cartridge and see what it'll really do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it will really do some pretty crazy things. It appears to be showing some promise. Yeah, mm-hmm. no doubt. Now here's the deal: like you've got people going in and loading for three oh eight. You got people loading for thirty out six. They're they're still toying around with that round, mm-hmm. those rounds. Yep, been around forever. What what do you see as being, you know, I mean, in my head, at first I remember thinking like, oh, yeah, okay, we got this thing, it works, let's crank it up to 11, we'll kind of like see how far we can go with it, we'll probably dial it back a couple, you know, click or two from there, and uh, find whatever is our accuracy, you know, and then it's good, this thing's like, awesome, done. But there's so much more that could be done with it, I mean, oh, yeah. it's almost, uh, it's almost, not intimidating is not the right word, but it's almost a little bit like um, discouraging. Well, no, you probably get excited about it because you you love testing all this stuff. Yeah. But if you're the kind of person that likes reaching a point where you're like, this is perfect, it is the best it can be, that can be a little foreboding because you're thinking to yourself like, so many different powders that we can try. Mm-hmm. Each different powder you try, you can, do a, you can do ladder tests with it. There's so many projectiles that you can try. There's little different tweaks and changes you can do with your dies on the reloading thing. There's little different ways that you seating can... Seating depth. Yeah, seating depth. Yep. I didn't even think about that one. Um, man. Yeah, when I look at it, I think, like, what are people who see it, what are they going to critique? Like, if they could change it, what would they change? Right. And it's like I start going through the 400 things that come to mind right away. It's like, gosh, why did I even think about this? <laughs> like, <laughs> So, yeah, I, I mean, there's certainly a lot of... Like if you open a reloading manual and you turn to any given bullet for any given cartridge and you see like eight options for powder charges, a low and a high, bear in mind that the ballistician that was working on that, that just bullet weight probably had 30. And then they pared that down to 20. And then they pared that down to 15 and then again to eight. And everything in between there. So when you see a min-max load, you know they played at half-grain increments for each powder yeah. style and charge weight. I, I mean, that. I've been to the uh, ballistics lab at Hornady. Those guys have probably the coolest job in the world. That is what they do all day long. Is yeah. they, they are making little tiny incremental gains and, and observing incremental losses or catastrophic losses with respect to velocity and accuracy and all this, documenting it, 
completely. I'm sure it's like a spreadsheet. I was going to say, it sounds like a spreadsheet. Yeah. And I don't care for it. Right. It it is amazing, though. And this is also part of the reason why I know some people have asked you, even even we asked you, it's like, are we going to get this thing Sammy-spec'd? Oh, gosh. This is part of the reason why it's, it's sort of a little bit like, ugh. The the amount of research that has to go into this. I mean, with anything, if you were going to make a car that doesn't exist, to put it together, Don't even bother. right? To put it together, and then go through like emissions and crash tests, and then look at things like can it be mass produced? Like my hats off to people like Elon Musk, who comes out with a vehicle that within a very short amount of time enjoys enormous commercial success and is viable. Yeah. Like the amount of R&D and dollars and hours that go into making that work is mind-boggling. They don't even let you do they don't even let you do one car per crash test. It's multiple, many many yeah. many, many many multiple cars per individual crash test. I mean, you're already making a couple hundred cars even just to literally just to send them off them. to get crunched. Yep. And then they have to you know, test them and so, but beyond the point. Sorry, got talking about cars. I don't I, know why I didn't use rifle scopes because we make ammo. those because, here. Yeah, but the, the, you are correct. <laughs> yeah. Now we don't have to, you know, send hundreds of them to get just crunched in any right. way that we can. Well, we certainly we do, do put them through. Test them hor- like not horribly, but like we put them through. Well, yeah, but we don't put them on like a train with rocket boosters behind it to send it into a wall. Right. But we but, do. We do. There are there. There's. Development Many cycles. Tests. I mean, some people, whenever people are like, well, hey, why don't you guys do a rifle scope that's like this? And it's like, you know, either maybe we're working on something like that or whatever. Or they just kind of say like, well, you guys, just, you just you just kind of fart them out, right? And it's like, <laughs> well, I mean, it takes actually about oftentimes three to five years yeah. to develop yep. mm-hmm. one family of rifle scopes. Yeah, one reticle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you this, though. We, get, we put a little more, a little more work in this thing. Sammy's going to become to us. <laughs> I think... Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> sit back with our oh. cigars. <laughs> I think... Uh, well, first of all, the day that the two of you sit with me and smoke a cigar is going to be a good day. So I did that once. I do, We were at Chacho. You we'll looked at me to, like, I don't know. I don't get it. We'll have to do it again. I still don't get it. I still don't get it, but we'll have to do it again. It was kind of fun. Uh, Every time I do it, I go, yep, that's why I don't do this. Right. And then I think I finally kind of hit my threshold. I'm like, I guess I just don't do, shouldn't do this. If you love cigars, comment below. I bet there's a lot of people that do. I would love I to hear about that. that. Yeah, do. we don't ever talk about that. Cigars yeah, are a we, great thing. We met a, a fascinating cigar person that one day, though. Oh, yeah, fascinating indeed. Yeah. More than just fascinating. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, so with respect to, like, what is the next step in this adventure, like, w- with respect to commercialization, it's, like, point blank, it's not that simple. There's, no. It is not that simple. It's fun to dream about. Yeah, and it's fun to tinker, and I think that's what's really exciting about it is we have we're very fortunate that we have the ability to tinker with this. Mm. Like I, I think if I was to like have bit this off on my own, this would not have been a process. I think we started on the six five BC perhaps a year ago, like from conceptual to execution. Yeah, if I like, I sat back. The other night, I was just holding the cartridge in my hand. It was actually an antelope camp. Um, I was like, what would this have looked like if I just drew this up in my kitchen instead of here at work where we have facilities and resources? And part of me is like, you never would have done it. Like, it just doesn't work that way. It's too difficult. Um, and the other part of me is like, this would have been like a multi-year process because I, I, I wouldn't have otherwise had access to, you know, a controlled environment range. 3D printer. Correct. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, CAD CAM and design programs and actual mechanical engineers and designers, it just very daunting. So moving forward with it, I guess my personal goal is now that we we've established what I consider the baseline, like where we were at here is, is to branch out and to begin doing the stuff that, that the, um, like Dave Emery's of the world are doing at, at Hornady and, and mm-hmm. starting to discover what a, a cartridge potential actually is mm-hmm. using various different powders and come up with some real load data. Uh, because eventually, um, I'm going to want a rifle chambered in this thing to go hunt game with it and like, right. and, and go yeah. do that. And then we, we also have renditions and tooling to make other calibers in the, in the BC family. Yeah. And so bringing those to life too would, would be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Row, row, bitch cat. Perfect sound We do have a catchphrase. We do. So. Row, row, row. We're literally <laughs> like already over halfway there. I was going to say that's, that. yeah, at least 50% there. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. And then of course, you know, to get a rifle chambered in, to get a factory rifle chambered in something like a, like a Wildcat cartridge, like the, uh, 6.5 VC that we have, then it needs to be Sammy spec. Yep. You know? So, um, yeah. I mean, unless people are doing this custom and plus two, it's like, here's the thing. I mean, people are probably going to ask us, we love the load data and all this for this cartridge. There is a certain level of responsibility as well that one needs to take where it's worked for us thus far. But, like, we've literally only tested 100 rounds. Yep. So, because, yeah, now we're to the point, well, almost 100, because we're to the point where you have to start reloading. Yep. Um, but if we just start throwing out there, like, hey, it worked for us, like, uh, you know, 100 times out of... In, no, and yeah, you say, we have like, a, here, take this, and then somebody <laughs> blows themselves up with it. I we mean, have that's a social, not work. social responsibility not to yeah. tell people. Hopefully, that, someday we can put it out there, though. Like, hey, look at this, you know, check it out. Right. It won't be dangerous. I'd I'd say this for me when we did the uh, the reloading to the extreme, like it was super interesting. Yeah, and I, and I I'm not gonna say I didn't enjoy because I did enjoy it. Right, it was it was interesting. It was fun. I learned a ton. I I'd say that was definitely an awesome 101. Like for going into this project to actually have like some sort of a baseline of even just the terminology and what we're doing and how yeah. we're going about it. But from an interest standpoint and like being excited about it. Um, there's a lot more to this one. Like I'm excited to see how some of these different powders do and how things change and, you know, do some of those, you know, find those accuracy nodes and, you know, try and tinker with it enough to find out, you know, hopefully it's something that works really, really well. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At present though, with the, with the state of, of things, um, I got thinking about barrel life. And so we're very much in the infancy of load development. But as you shoot your gun, like round by round, you lose a little. Um, you may not realize it for a while. Yeah. Right. But I don't foresee this being a cartridge like 308 Winchester or 6.5 Creedmoor where the barrel life is just, you know, exceptional. You can shoot them thousands of times and they work good for many of those thousands of rounds. Um, it's a snoozy cartridge. And so you're going to lose, you're going to lose the ability to, you know, I guess we'll just call it like longevity because eventually we're going to have to do a barrel swap on it. Right. Mm. Um, and that's that's not a super easy thing to do. You know, fortunately, we've got a lot of great contacts in the industry that do that for a living. But, you know, to, to really suss out good data um, on a cartridge, on, on a, a rifle, you know, capability or the rifle cartridge capability, you're going to have to have barrels at your exposure or at, at your disposal, excuse me. And 
be able to put them on and keep testing and then duplicate that test and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a big stack of paperwork in front of me with respect to like, what does it look like when it's done right now? It's just a mile of paperwork to, to go through. But where we're at now is very cool. It is nice to at least be, you know, there's sometimes where you have a load of like paperwork or work, you know, data and all this stuff to gather ahead of you. And you're like, like, it still doesn't work. You know, you're just still working on this idea. I mean, it is cool that we got it to work and function and, and, and not even just like in a range environment, but literally out in the field, it worked and functioned and and did what it needed to do three times. Might I add the, the six, five bitch cat is still 100%. Three for three? Three for three, which is and, very you know, cool. And I feel like we're, we're somewhat doing it a little bit of a disservice. Like, we're talking about a 142-grain, you know, high BC bullet that's shooting sub-MOA at, I think, 3,000 or, th- was it 30? 3025. 3025. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's not like it just went bang, right? It's not like, we, oh, my gosh, it, it went bang. Yeah, kind of like the first time we shot it. No, it's, it's, grains of powder. it's 325 feet per second faster than a 6.5 Creedmoor factory loading in a comparable bullet weight. Right. So that's very measurable. It's already somewhat impressive. Yeah, correct. Um, and I, I think it's it's only just started walking. Did you say it's only 320 on? Three, 325 feet per second faster than a factory loaded. I thought a 6.5 crew was coming out at like 27 something, not 2700 flat. Oh, oh, I'm getting my hundreds and thousands. Eight, nine, ten. You know, happens sometimes. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> you know, and, and we believe that 3,300 feet per second is certainly within the realm of possibility, just based on the case. Oh, and, I think we'll crush past three. Uh, and I, I do, too. I, second. My, he was being conservative. I, I, I don't want to be like, this thing's going to go 3,500. I mean, it certainly could. Have you ever seen a laser? Yeah. And so I... I I think we're going to get there. We'll see sooner. what it looks like when we break the speed of light barrier. <laughs> sooner, we'll than, sooner than later. Um, it's it's going to be cool. It would be neat, though, if 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 other people that are way like more experienced with this kind of thing than I am and, and like deeper down the rabbit hole with respect to wildcatting and, and kind of wringing out or ironing out the wrinkles in, in factory cartridges and, and really getting the most out of them, get a hold of it, and they're like, Neck diameter isn't good. Neck length is too long. CT depth is wrong. Like, start doing something different. I want to. I want to see what they end up coming up mm. with. You know, we're using really advanced dies from the standpoint of like they're custom dies. There, there's only one set in the world. You know, they're pur- purpose built. But was there a better mousetrap with respect to the the reloading die system that would have given us a different result mm-hmm. or, or allowed us a greater deal of flexibility? Um, who knows. You know when it gets when it gets to that, but it'll be interesting. Tell you what, though, could be a could be a couple of decades from now, could be a century from now. Somebody might be doing a podcast about this old six five BC. It was a wildcat cartridge back in twenty twenty, <laughs> and it was developed by a podcast team, two guys of which did nothing in the development process, but ended up took being, all the credit. Took all, and then one guy who was actually the brains behind the operation. It started on an eight and a half by eleven piece of paper, by the way. That it did. A lot of I'll tell things you what, do. A, a blank sheet of paper. Yep. I wish I could remember the Michael Scott quote from that uh, college lecture that he does. It was good. He talks about. It was good. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It can. It can. What does it start? At? It starts out with a. Uh, you might have an idea of a whoozy whatsy or a whatchamacallit. It was a good video. Yeah. 
But uh, that's that's kind of the story thus far of the old BC. Man, I'm, I I am excited. It's it'll be neat to see, like you know, even the potential of other calibers within mm-hmm. it too. You know, like a thirty or whatever. And um, but then you even think about that, and you're like. Oh my! Just you, the, you can't just you can't just copy and paste. Well, oh, we finally figured out the six five BC. Now we'll just copy and paste that same thing over to the thirty, and it'll it'll just work. Because I mean, once you get into another caliber, you're it's a new ball game. almost oh, you're starting, starting from ground zero. One hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Let's just work. Let's just focus on the one right, right. now. Yeah. Well, like, because even six the, five even is six five is the uh, the thing these days. You know, yeah. that's what all the cool cats are doing. Pour some six five on it. Yeah. This is the coolest cat. Ooh, and, yeah. it, and it is too. It's a cat. It's yeah. a cat. Yeah. Ryan, can't thank you enough for our, all the hard work and insight on this yes. project. It has been fun. I think it's going to be more fun. I'm looking forward to working on it. I hope. I hope. I don't know. Everybody listening out there, sometimes we comment. We just say, or we say at the end, like, "Hey, comment whatever yours." I just hope people comment and say, like, if you learned something on this, because I know we certainly did. And if, I don't know, even if you don't ever plan to wildcat, I feel like wildcatting takes a very uh, unique individual. And a lot of times people say that and they just mean, like, just weirdo, which I think there is some level of being a weirdo that goes into, like, wanting to wildcat stuff. Ryan, you are. You do fit the bill. But, uh, but like, I mean, not everybody just even has, like, the patience or just to go through all this stuff. Well, and, and just so, and also the knowledge, Ryan. You have a ton of knowledge. Oh, I mean, gosh. like, be safe out there, everybody, because like you know, like you said, this is uncharted territory. You are things can go wrong. You know yes. what I mean? So know what you're doing. Yes. If it doesn't make the video cut, I was willing to die for the BC project. <laughs> <laughs> we all were. Yeah. So that was funny. Yeah. It's not. Uh, it's it's not Legos necessarily. Um, no, but it is fun. It's fun to it's fun to draw. It's fun to conceptualize, and and there are groups and companies out there that that can help facilitate this and and bring that to life. Um, you know, we worked real close with uh, the guys over at PTG and and uh, RCC Brass to to do a lot of the um, you know the other components required for this, like the dies and the brass themselves, and Remington Custom Shop. Yep, and um, yep, on the rifle. Yeah, they threw that together right quick, and and um, ended up with a. Like stellar product. Um, mm. So if you are going to do it, there there are people out there that that have the know how, the tooling, and the ability to execute on that. But uh, you know, work within reason. Yeah, know, start with a modest cartridge. We went right right to eleven, right off the bat. Properly. That's kind of typical, though. I oh, yeah. I guess I in my head when when we had mentioned this, I was going to go with something quite a bit less uh, BC ish, but we ended up with something quite BC ish. Can we address the fact that a name actually, in fact, uh, made the cartridge what it was? Oh, no question. The, the fact that Mark even just said the phrase bitch cat at one point in time, when we said we need to name a cartridge to this, there was no other option than for the cartridge to be what it is. It right. it, it, it well, perfectly emulates the, the, the name. That the single really errant utterance at a completely... At the end of post-recording a completely separate, unrelated podcast was the impetus for the idea of we should make a cartridge. Yep, yep. And that is life. We're going to have to keep people updated. Uh, so keep, stay tuned on Instagram. I'm not, I'm not saying that's going to be like a weekly thing or anything, but we're going to no. try and keep you updated on occasion as you know, little advancements are made here and there. 
And, uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, stay tuned for that. I don't know. Someday it'd be neat if we could put out some low data for people. I don't know. I, that'd be pretty cool. Uh, don't be expecting it immediately, though, because, again, we just don't want anybody out there to, to get blown up. That wouldn't be good. Nope. Nobody likes that. No. All right. All right. Well, that does it. Um, man, we cap off another pod venture every time. A little piece of me stays with that pod venture. I know? feel like it's like sad to see her go, to give. but maybe it's not gone with this one, Jim. Oh. None of the pod ventures have gone. They're all yeah. still a part. Look at the Subaru. That's true. She lives still on. with us. Yeah. The boat is still... Mm, no. I don't know if we have the boat anymore. Oh, okay. Well... We still have the paddles. See? Oh, yeah. We use those. Mm-hmm. You've got a freezer full of antelope meat. You're both now well... Well and decently trained in hand-to-hand combat. And, oh, hey, uh, I found yeah. my sunglasses. <laughs> my wife is a big fan of antelope burritos. No kidding? She's totally down with it. Great success. Yeah. Now also, that- also, I keep smelling antelope everywhere I go. Like, it's just your dog. Just real, like, little bit. It's not my dog. Does that happen to you? Just driving in your car, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, antelope. Well, now it's gone. It, well, if you're driving the Subaru. I think our dog smells like a bear. Oh, the Subaru smells like complete, just... Awfulness. Oh, it smells like three dudes slept in it uncomfortably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a, okay. That's super, to me, that's very super special. Like, best takeaway your wife doesn't hunt. You brought home wild game that you hunted, and she's enjoying the fruits of those. She's labors. loved everything I've brought home. She's loved whitetail when it's come back, wild turkey. Turkey tenders might be her favorite wild game she's that's tried. That's good. She's liked antelope as well. Oh, it's so good. I'm going to cook antelope this weekend. I'm I'm about to tomorrow. I'm gonna, you know what I'm going to do? Antelope burritos. I'm going to, we're going Hungarian partridge hunting on Saturday. I'm going to somehow figure out how to pair a hun with a pronghorn. That'd be I, good. I still That'd don't know how you're choosing to do that the first week in November. I know it's hot. It's not the I first, know it'll be the second week. Yeah, it's the second week in November. Oh, you're talking about with deer? Yeah. Mark, I don't know how to hunt whitetails. Oh, my God. That's a whole level of. N- neither do I. Still go. Well, there are some who do and some who say, and I'm. In this category, I fall into say. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know either. I had a better idea in my head there, but that's awesome. I'm I, glad you. I challenge you to try antelope burritos because you make fajitas a lot. I challenge you to do burritos. I've never made an official burrito besides a breakfast burrito. I'm not good you. at the fold. No, that's it's, I, that's it's. I know. I it's always still usually the challenge. Yeah, sorry. All right. Well, anyway, we'll we'll count this one off. Okay, everybody, thanks for uh, tuning along or tuning along, following along and tuning in with us on this pod adventure. We'll catch you on the next one. See you around. Bye, everybody. Bye. See ya. Ooh, ooh. Wow, wow. You already hit cat. I know. One more. It's classic. Bye. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show. Maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like. So that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released. So that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you can take with you to the range, out in the field or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So, again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.